Well, happy Mother's Day to the ladies who are mothers. Um, so I hope you have a great day celebrating with your family and, and whatever your plans are today. Not turn the tap. We have no idea. What's that? That's what my plans are for today. What's that? Doing nothing. Doing nothing. Well, I hope you have a good time doing nothing. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, just a few things. Well, my phone's over there again now. I can remember. Okay, so let's just. So vacation Bible schools is they're gearing up for decoration. I'm not sure what the decorating plans are, but. If you have time and you're, you're interested in assisting to decorate the, the church and transform it into a, uh, a new world for the kids so they can learn about God and His creation, um, let the... Uh, Lauren. Lauren. Lauren, thank you. I was going to say somebody else. Uh, Lauren and Chris know they could use your help, I'm sure. I don't know what their schedule is. And I don't know what kind of work, you know, skills they need, but you can talk to them. Uh, men's breakfast on the 21st of May. And um, and we clean next weekend, this coming weekend, not today, obviously. Is that right? The 14th. So today's the 8th, so the, the weekend of the 14th. And I have on your notes, it says, no word yet on, on Church in the Park. You know, I got a message this morning from Brian that we are on for Church in the Park uh, June 5th. I believe is the day. Um, I don't know what time the service will start. Probably ten or ten thirty. I don't know. It'll be at the amphitheater in the park, like we've done in the past. Uh, the city is assuring us that the park will be opened, and all of the construction that's been done will be cleaned cleared up by that time. So uh, we will be doing church in the park. So pray for that because. Uh, they, some something like a bad weather week could push the the finalizing of their, whatever they're doing and uh, end up not allowing the park to be open. And if that happens, then we won't do church in the park. But we are planning on it for now. Um, and um, so, and then that Saturday, I believe the fourth, would take take them to the street. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so just going out and inviting people to come to the church in the park. Um, we did talk a lot about, you know, the possibility of going to another park or another another community, but it just didn't seem feasible even to do that. So we're thankful that the Lord has given us a chance to be um, at, at Harrisonville's Park again this year. Um, what else was on that list? Bad yeah, just like, uh, it actually, taking the streets, it says will be May 30th. Um, okay, it's the weekend before. Yeah. That's also Memorial Day weekend. He said the fabulous fifth, this, which is the last Sunday of this mm-hmm. month, he said that um, there will be no ABF. We're going to have a combined service. At so, 9 o'clock. Yeah, okay. he just said that. I didn't put that on. Yeah, that's... Uh, so, the next fabulous fifth, you know, sometimes we've had Bible hour and then had main service, even on a fifth Sunday where we do the Lord's Supper. Um, but this time, we are not having class on the last day of March, May, which is a fifth Sunday in May, but we will be in the auditorium at 9 o'clock with combined service. And then regular services will be at 10.30 at normal. 
<clears throat> um, I also noted here for for the Hedges' request that to let everybody in the class know that you're all invited to Sam Hedges' open house on uh, on the 14th, which is next next weekend, Saturday. Yeah, from 2 to 5. From two, 2 to 5? I thought, I thought your note said 2 to 3. Okay, from 2 to 5. 2 to 3 would be kind of quick, wouldn't it? <laughs> so two to five, between 2 in the afternoon and 5 in the afternoon at, at, uh, at their house. Uh, he's graduated from high school. And we just like to have a you know, give him a chance for people to come and congratulate him and the family for a milestone in their lives. Uh, high school graduation is always a big deal, so that's going on. I noted and pray for uh, for Balkans, uh, Sharon Balkan in particular. You had some tests done. Yes, and they. Uh, I, I have nothing but praises about that. Good um, results. Good results. Praise the Lord. The one cancer is is doing really is stable, and it's been over five years now since the Amen. treatment ended on that, and um, they put me in a maintenance group to watch okay. the airplane. But um, oh, amen. God is so good. Yeah. Yes, God is good. So that's good to hear about your results. Uh, I don't know what all the tests were, and you don't have to go into all of that, but it's, you, we're just thankful for that. We've been praying for a long time. Uh, how's Judy doing? Well, she went and did her uh, breathing test Wednesday, and then this coming Wednesday she'll go to the doctor and, you know, and he can say, well, I think this, I think, you know, and maybe give her some kind of, give her an inhaler or something that she can okay. get back to living life, I guess. Can she, is she, is she, with effort, can she take a deep breath? Yeah, and then there's times when she can't. When she takes deep breaths, she starts coughing, and then it's like, okay, I'm just okay. going to set her in her eyes. Well, we'll keep her in prayer. Yeah. And I made a note here that Brett Davis up here on the front row got saved last week. Yeah. Your um, son-in-law, that's right. I had a rough night last night, so my brain's not working at all this morning. So son-in-law, and he got saved, so thank, thank the Lord for that. That's awesome. So plan on your getting you baptized here pretty soon when you're ready for that. I mean, probably talk to him about that, but um, that'll be that's awesome. Praise the Lord for that. Um, that's all I have on you know. I don't know if the bulletin has other information on what I did with the bulletin. <laughs> yes. For my family, my um, extended family, um, we've got a lot anyway. My brother, my oldest brother, Dale, has had prostate cancer for quite a while. And they've decided it's time for him to have radiation. And he's known this for about a month. He goes Monday to see the radiation doctor to get that schedule, to get all the pre-work done. But last Monday, they got the call that his wife has breast cancer. Mm. And it is invasive into her system. So who is this? This is my sister-in-law, my brother Dale. Your brother Dale. And his wife, Linda. Sister-in-law. Now she has Linda. cancer, so I was able to get her to a nurse navigator at KU. And she has an appointment on the 17th with a team, oncologist, radiologist, and surgeon. Wow. Um, so... I really ask people to pray for them. And then my sister, Amen. who had a, they call it a seizure stroke, last, it's been almost a year. She went in for her follow-up, and she is having...
having more, she had an AEG, which is showing more slowing of her brain mm. in floral. So my mom is like, I'm done. Okay. You guys remember to pray for them. Um, before we go to the Ephesians, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, for where we're going to pray from, just wanted to ask for myself, um, you guys just pray that I, I have my next MRI on Tuesday next week. Um, first off, I hate the MRI machine. Uh, it's an hour and a half on average, laying perfectly still, wearing a mask. So the thing's rubbing on my nose all the time, and you know you got to be perfectly still. And um, so anyway, if you could pray that I would endure that. I'd, I'm, I'm trusting that the tests, that the results will be um, stable, but uh, it's just, I just hate that machine after doing it so many years, so, so many times now. Um, this this is the longest I've gone. This is, this is, they moved me from two months every other month to do an MRI to three months. So this has been three months since my last MRI. Um, so hopefully that doesn't indicate a problem. Uh, they're thinking positive because they went three months, but uh, you never know. So that's Tuesday morning at 8 o'clock. Okay, so Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 10 to 20. Just as a reminder, you know, we use these passages that we read in the morning uh, as a what I would call a prayer point. Just praying God's word back. So hopefully verses that we come across during the time of reading was, would... Um, motivate a prayer you know when we ask God to fulfill his word to keep his word uh, to get help us to be strengthened in his word uh, that's always a good thing um, you know it's kind of like how people are with each other they want to hold hold each other to their word and so we want to hold God to his word as well uh, that sounds kind of blasphemous but it's really not um, if God is holding his, keeping his word, then we can trust God even stronger, more strong. So anyway, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, starting in verse 10. So anyway, let me really say this. So I'll pray, I'll start prayer, and then I'll just stop. And then if anybody wants to follow up in prayer, they can. Um, and then if you finish, then somebody else can continue in prayer. And if, uh, if everybody seems to be, um, if all the people that want to pray or don't want to pray, are done, then I will wrap us up and get started in the lesson. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10. We'll read down to verse 20. <clears throat> he that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. That is, This is also vanity. When goods increase, they are increased that eat them. And what good is there to the owners thereof, saving the beholding of them with their eyes? The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, where, where the, whether he eat little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. There is a sore evil which I have seen under the sun, namely riches kept for the owners thereof of, to their hurt. But those riches perish by evil travail, and he, he, beget, he begetteth a son, and there is nothing in his hand. As he came forth of his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go out into the same, and shall take nothing of his labor which he may carry away in his hand. And this also is a sore evil, that in all points as he came, so shall he go. And what profit hath he that hath labored for the wind? 
All his days also he eateth in darkness, and he shall have much sorrow and wrath with his sickness. Behold, that which I have seen, it is good and comely for one to eat and to drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor, that he taketh under the sun all the days of his life, which God giveth him, for it is his portion. Every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth and hath given him power to eat thereof and to take his portion and to rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. For he shall not much remember the days of his life because God answered him in the joy of his heart. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this passage of scripture, Lord. It reminds us where our focus ought to be. Not on things that we have, not on our possessions, not on not on money or or resources or anything, but our, our, our focus should always be on you and your word and ministering uh, to others because of your word. We pray, Father, that you give us always a, 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 sleep, a sweet sleep, as we see in verse 10, Lord. Uh, we all need that, and sleep is a, is a good thing to help us to uh, prepare for the next day of service to you, and so we just ask, Father, for that. We thank you, Father, for the report from Sharon Balkan on her test and we pray father that you continue to uh, help her uh, hold her keep her safe lord and 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 bob as well and uh, and uh, and pray, pray father for bob klein and, and uh, his his uh, knees lord and thank you for his, his son-in-law brett for his salvation we praise you lord it's always it's always a great thing to see somebody um open up and receive christ as savior and Lord, we thank you, Father, also for uh, Judy, uh, her uh, as one of our sisters. Lord, we do pray for her. Lord, she's been uh, a long time at home, suffering uh, with breathing problems. And Lord, we know that we all need the, the breath of life, the, the breath, the breathing that, that gives us life. Lord, so I pray for Judy that you would help her, Lord, and whatever the doctor is going to do uh, after the test that she has, Lord, that you would just strengthen her and uh, and give uh, strength also to Richard Lord that he can take care of his wife and we thank you and praise you Father for all of these things in Jesus name Heavenly Father just so blessed and thankful this morning that he who was my son-in-law is now my brother in you Lord Jesus and we're so grateful and thankful for that praise Continue to bless him with a, with a desire to learn more about you, about your word, and about your kingdom. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, the burden that you lay upon us is a, a joyful burden because we have the opportunity to pray for others. Pray especially this morning also for uh, Betty's uh, relatives that stricken with cancer and other things that uh, she has mentioned. We pray for those people, Father, we don't need to know them or maybe have never met them, but the obligation that, that the Lord you laid upon us is that we're to pray for one another and uh, in sincerity. Thank you, Father, for the answered prayer uh, uh, so much uh, for Sharon, and I thank you for that, Father, because I know there were many that we're praying for her as she went through the cancer treatment. It's not a joyful time in, in the person that's taking those treatments, but it's necessary uh, 
And Father, we just thank you for the medical people who've been under so much pressure these past two and a half or three years. And Lord, thank you for the time that we had together in your word here in this class. Thank you for our teacher, uh, pray especially for Randy on Tuesday at 8 o'clock uh, that we might set that time aside to concentrate uh, on uh, praying for him for the hour and a half or so, whatever that treatment takes, and to help him through that time of having to lay still. That's not easy to do sometimes. Pray for Judy, as uh, Randy's already mentioned, and others that, uh, that need our prayer, especially uh, about Judy. She's had a long struggle. We just pray for our sister, as Randy has already mentioned. So I thank you for the Bible ministry in this local church. Thank you for the hands that were available yesterday and uh, just ask you to get the, the cutting machine up and running for us so these things can be completed. God, thank you for our son that uh, this shines in our hearts through the blood of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, I just want to lift Katie up to you while she's mm -hmm. down on the border, Lord. Um, please watch over and protect her and uh, while she's away from her home here. And God, I pray that uh, you would help her to do uh, the job that she was sent to do there and that you bring her home safely to us. Thank you. Father, we thank you for your word and uh, this passage that shows us that those things which are gifts from you are, are vain if we focus on them instead of you. And uh, Lord, we, we do thank you for the fact that you, you give us um, means by which to, to live and, and, and food and drink. Uh, Lord, help us to uh, not look to the gift, but look to the giver. And uh, we, we thank you for uh, the gift of mothers on today when recognized and Lord for the mothers in this class that you would bless them today that it would be um, a joy uh, for them to reflect on what you've done in their lives uh, through the children and grandchildren um, Father uh, we also thank you for the, the gift of, uh, of salvation that we heard this morning uh, just praise your name and what you're doing uh, and um, that you would just uh, continue to draw breath to you and um, Lord we, we thank you for Randy and for the Lord and uh, just look uh, in expectancy for what you'll teach us today Lord we, we um, just mindful of, of Betty's brother and, and wife Lord that you would uh, just your hand of healing would work through doctors and through healthcare workers and the same for, for Judy and for Randy, Lord, uh, even now that you would quiet his, his heart and mind as, as he goes through that procedure, and that you would uh, just continue to bless in his life, um, that that you would be glorified. We love you and we thank you. Father, we conclude in prayer again. We're, we are ever thankful that we can come before the, uh, the throne of God and, and lay our petitions at your feet, Lord, not knowing that you know all things, but Lord, it does draw us closer to you. We're thankful for the opportunity that it does allow us to be close to you. <clears throat> uh, and so we do pray, Lord, Father, for, for many things. And I know others, others of us have, have things on our hearts, Lord, that uh, we could even be praying now and we could pray all the whole, the whole class. 
Lord, and um, but we also have business to attend, and so we pray, Father, for your leadership, your guidance, and your direction. Help us to understand this passage, Lord. Help us, help me to teach it right. Help me to uh, concentrate on what you're trying to say, Lord, that we might be able to all understand in the application of the Scripture. And we just give you the honor and the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we're in Colossians chapter chapter 1. We'll finish chapter 1 today. Colossians chapter 1. So uh, Paul is writing to this young church. Uh, It's not that he, as I've told you before, you you probably could recite this already yourselves, which would be great. But, you know, Paul was not at this church. He didn't plant the church. He not visited the church. He didn't know anything was going on. He, He met what we believe to be their pastor, Epaphras, who came to Rome while Paul was under house arrest. And, uh, and basically said, hey, we've got some things going on. What do you think, Paul? How, how would you encourage the church? And so anytime, and I mentioned one, one, when we first started this lesson, this series, that, <clears throat> you know, sometimes we should just write a brother or a sister or, or a church, another church, and say, hey, you know, God is, God is good. You're, you're doing well. Keep up the good work, whatever. Just a word of encouragement. Uh, you know, write a missionary, uh, write uh, write a pastor. Just you know, I mean, I know that you know many of us have a very tight, close relationship with Pastor Brian, and that's 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 great. But you know, sometimes he needs encouragement just as much as you do. I will tell you that for sure that he does, and I would say probably most of the pastors are the same way. Um, anyway, I don't want to go down that path too far, but that's the point of the lesson. Paul was writing to it really just to encourage the church. And so um, he started uh, last week. We we um, he was writing to this church about their re- regarding the Lord and Savior, which we talked about last last week, starting with verse fifteen, then through nineteen. We were looking and focusing on on uh, identifying Christ. And so we learned that there's no difference between God, the God of the universe, and Jesus Christ, who we call the de- the term deity of Christ implies, or not not implies, but it teaches. That Jesus Christ is God, not that He is like God, not that He is created from God. He wasn't. He is God. It's the key thing that Paul is laying out in, in the middle of this chapter, which we looked at last week. Deity refers to that who God is, and describes God's essential character. And we identified six traits. I'm just going to briefly mention them again. Uh, we're not going to dig into them, but starting in verse 15 down to 19, we learned that. That Christ is the image of the invisible God. This is not in your notes today, but if you have from last week, you can still fill it in. Um, and we also learned that He is the firstborn over all creation. And we talked about being the firstborn over creation, not just over humanity, but over all things. And what did that represent? We talked about the firstborn and God uh, redeeming the firstborn because of what happened in Egypt and so on. Uh, in verse 16, he, he, is the cre- he created all things. Christ is involved in creation. That's a cool thing. Uh, and then in verse 18, he's the head of the body of the church. The, not just the local church, but every church is part of the body of Christ. Christ is the head of every Bible-believing. I use the term Bible-believing, but Christ-following. That's probably a better way to say it in this context. Christ is the head of every church that is Christ-following. He's not the head of a church that doesn't follow Christ. 
That's, that may sound harsh, but that is the truth. Because if they're not following Christ, why would he lead them? You know, why would they not following him? Anyway, he's the head of the body of the church. In verse 18, he's also the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. We talked about that at length. And in verse 19, he is the fullness of God dwelling in him. So today, what we're going to do today, we're going to, we're going to work our way down through the remaining verses of this chapter. And we're going to discover one more characteristic of Christ and God, which is that his victory over our separation from God. He has victory over our separation. You know, there was a time, Brett, Brett's a good example, there was, and every one of us has done that. We've all gotten saved. I believe everybody in this room is, is, is saved by the, by the grace of God now. Uh, and I lost my train of thought, I'm sorry. Uh, but that was the victory, you know, that, 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 uh, that we're going to explore now. So we're going to start in verse 20. I'm just going to read down verse 20 all the way to the end of the chapter for the sake of just getting it read. Um, and if I stumble over the words, hopefully you'll forgive me. Verse 20. Chapter 1. And having made peace through the blood of his, his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through, the, through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature, which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am I made a minister, who now rejoice in thy suffering, in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh, for his body's sake, which is the church. Whereof I am made a minister, according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God even the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of, his, of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, we, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to, this, to his working, which worketh in me mightily. So that's powerful. There's a lot there. There's just, so um, I hope I can just do justice to this morning because I want to start with verses 20 to 23 of what I call victory in the gospel. So we're talking about Christ's victory um, and identifying his victory the right way. So we start with victory in the gospel. Verse 20, notice he starts off having been made, having made peace through, his, through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself. So reconciliation, I would say, is, is at the heart of the gospel. Reconciliation is at the heart of the gospel. The reason that there is a gospel, and I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but the reason there is a gospel is because God wants to reconcile everybody back to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's a gospel, there's a word, there's a message, that this good news that we share with other people so that they can be resurrected or, or reconciled with God. Um, the word reconcile means to restore. I think there's some blanks that you have in your notes if you want to, I'll try to remind you where there are. So the first one is restore. Reconcile means to restore. And it's, it's interesting because it means to restore back to a, rel- a relationship. Now, I'm just thinking of Richard there. He restores old cars. 
But that's not the kind of restorer we're talking about. Sort of, but not exactly. But anyway, uh, reconcile means to restore back to a relationship of peace that has been disturbed. Your peace with man's peace with God was disturbed by sin. Sin got in the way uh, of of our relationship with God. All the way back at the garden in Genesis chapter three, and man's man's relationship with God had been disturbed. We have no peace with God until we get saved. Until we accept Christ as Savior, we are we are not at peace with God. We are in, in, in fact, Paul uses the word. I'll get to it in a minute. We are enmity with God. And so, what is, what got in the middle of your relationship with God? Paul calls it. In fact, he says it um, in Ephesians chapter two, verse sixteen. He said, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. That enmity is something that was got in the way of your relationship with God. So verse 21, and you were sometimes alienated in your enemy, uh, and enemies in your mind by wicked work, yet now hath he reconciled. And so verse 21, I would say enmity is that what is what kept us separated from God. That, that enmity. So what is enmity? So it's a kind of a word that we don't really use in general conversation, but it's a hatred. It's a hatred, a hostility. It's a defamation. It's an evil report, a wickedness, or even an, an active malice. So, th- I mean, I used a lot of expressions, a lot of, a lot of defining terms there for the word enmity, but there was a time when, when the world, I was going to rephrase that, there are right now, the world, many in the world are at enmity with God today. We were, I mean, we were at enmity. We were, we hated God. Maybe we didn't know we hated God, but we didn't want anything to do with Him, right? We would, t- I would tell God, stand back. You know, see these commercials and different things. Talk to the hands. I don't know. That drives me crazy. But it seems appropriate right now. You say, step, step back, God. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want anything to do with you. That's that's a hatred for God. That's a hostility towards God. It's a defamation of God. It's an evil report and all of that stuff. And we could go on and on and on and describe that negative relationship. Yet God wants to clear off the plate and restore our our relationship to heal us back to Him. Paul said in Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, that if we have enmity with God, we are alienated. We are estranged from God. We are in a state where we find ourselves to be an enemy of God. Now, it's interesting when you think about, when you look at the, the idea of, about, about enmity, you will never find in the Bible, never find in God's Word, where God is at enmity with us. God doesn't hate us. God doesn't have a hostile mind towards us. He's not defaming us. He is not. He, he, he doesn't pr- produce evil reports about you to the world. I mean, who's God going to say, uh, Randy is such a slug? <laughs> I mean, God will never do that. I mean, He... He, he has no enmity towards me. He has no enmity towards you. He has no enmity towards the rest of the world. God doesn't do that. Now, uh, we're alienated, yes, but we're, but from, and we're estranged from God, yes, but we are in a state where we find ourselves an enemy of God, but we are never going to see God an enemy of us. We never find God as an enemy against us because that is inconsistent with the love of God for every person. How can you hate somebody and love them at the same time? God loves every person on the earth, no matter what we think about them. 
God loves every person on the earth. So how can we love and hate in the same breath, in the same actions, the same behavior? You can't, you can't do that. It's not possible. So we, we never find God in interview with us. We never find him as an enemy against us because that is inconsistent. It's also inconsistent as well because the gospel is the story of a sacrificial act to bring about our reconciliation. I mean, if God hated us, if God didn't love us, if God treated us like in a, in a hostile way, why would he die for us? Why would he give his life for us? So it's inconsistent to even think such a thing about God. So we are the, we are the ones that are in enmity with God. We are It's us that needs to be reconciled. God doesn't reconcile back to, to us. He, he provides a way for us to be reconciled back to him. So, so that's a powerful thing, powerful concept. Constant, constant, uh, concept. That's what I'm looking for. That's a powerful concept. I have to grasp all these words out here floating around in my head. Okay, then it goes and so he says something in verse 22. It's really cool. He says, In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. So, so the blood of his cross, he actually uses another expression we'll get to in just a couple more verses down. But the blood of his cross is the method of reconciliation. It's the method of reconciliation. Paul had started with the deity of Christ. Remember what we talked about last week in verses 15 to 20. You kind of have to follow Paul's flow of thought and getting where he's getting. Uh, so he started with the deity of Christ in verses 15 to 20. And now in verse 21 down to 29, he connects the deity to the sinner. That's really what's happening from verse 20 down to 29. He is connecting the the deity of Christ, Paul's writing, the deity of Christ is connected to you, uh, the sinner. He shows us in verse 20 how God, how Christ has made peace with us by the blood of his cross to reconcile us. So that, so he provided that, that avenue, that way. The, 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 the mention of blood, as he says there, the body of, uh, in verse 21, um, I'm sorry, verse 20. The blood of his cross. That's the expression we're still on right now. We'll get to the other one in just a moment. I'm kind of jumping my, in my own thinking. So, okay, so anyway. He, he shows us in verse 20 that Christ has made peace with us through, his, through the blood of his cross to reconcile us. And Paul, he uses the other expression. Let me just get to it. Look down at verse 22. So first he says in verse 20, through the blood of his cross. And then in verse 22, he says, in the body of his flesh through death. So both the blood and the body are referenced here by Paul. And it's pretty cool how he, how he links all this stuff together. So he uses that different phrase to show us how God dealt with sin by saying in the body of his flesh through death. The mention of blood. So he brings up the blood because he's trying to connect. He, 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 what he's doing is he's teaching the Bible here. He's teaching the Bible to the, to the church at Colossae. He's teaching us. What, what was important back in the Old Testament? Blood. The blood of the, of the animal sacrifices. See, the blood would be shed, would be drained out, and then the body would be crucified or, or uh, uh, sacrificed as well. Um, so the, blood, the mention of the blood in verse 20 connects us back to the blood of the sacrifices of the Old Testament. Now let me just say this about these two things. because Paul brings out both the blood and the body when he's getting us to the gospel. And so the blood doesn't just save. The blood doesn't just save. The blood cleanses and redeems. 
That's the first two things, you, the two blanks. Cleanses and redeems. Peter wrote about this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, where he says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, which is what we read about in Ecclesiastes, right? We're not redeemed with corruptible things as such as silver and gold for your vain, from your vain conversation received by the tradition of your fathers. Verse 19, Paul says, Peter says in verse 19, you're redeemed by the, by the precious blood of Christ as the lamb without blemish and without spot. So the blood cleanses us and blood redeems us. Paul writes in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. And then one last verse about this. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, the Apostle John says, If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. So the blood cleanses us and redeems us. And so Paul ties the blood back of his cross, verse 20, and the body of his death, through verse 21, to describe what he calls the gospel in verse 23. So that's kind of the flow. If you, if you were to draw a pencil line and circle verse 15 to 20, or 15 to 19, and then draw it down to verse 20, having made peace in, through his blood, and then link that to verse 22, in the body of his flesh, and then go down to verse 23, it's the, it's the gospel that he's mentioning. So, so he's laying out the gospel. Probably not in a way you would normally lay it out, because we all know Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. He buried and rose, rose again on the third day for our sins. He did that so you could be saved. That's the gospel. That's how we know 1 Corinthians 15. Paul kind of gives us a different way to talk about it. Christ shed his blood and he gave his body that you might be saved. Both of those things. The death of Christ, so the, the blood of Christ is the, cleanses us and, and, and redeems us. The death of Christ in the flesh saves us. Hebrews 13.11 For the bodies of those beasts which blood, whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest are burned without the camp. So there's two things going on. There was the, body, there was the shed blood in the Old Testament and then the, the, the bodies of those beasts were taken out of the camp and burned and, and uh, consumed out there. There's a picture of Jesus Christ when he carried his cross. He, he shed his blood inside the city. And then he carried the cross out of the city to Mount Golgotha and stuck it in the ground. And then they hung him on it. Actually, he hung it. They, they nailed it to him. Then they hung it. Then they stuck it in the ground. But in any case, out of the body, out of the, out of the camp, out of the city. So his blood and his body. The death of Christ saves us and reconciles us and, res- and the results in, in all of this is that we are, that we, Paul calls us in, in verse 23, I think it is, at the end of verse uh, 22, he presents us, because of his body, he presents us three ways. Holy, unreprovable, and unblameable in his sight. So God no longer sees us as enmity against him. He sees us holy. He sees us uh, unblameable. Now he sees us unreprovable. So what do those words mean real quick? Just a couple of blanks for you. To be holy is how we relate to God. He, he is holy. We are holy because He is holy. So we, we relate to God in holiness. We are unblameable is how we are no longer guilty. You know, to be blamed means you're guilty of something, right? You know, I blame you. 
You're the one that caused the problem. You're you're guilty of that. So <coughs> Paul Paul says God never points his finger at you anymore, and says you're you're blamable because you're unblamable now. He's not going to put what are you unblamable from? It's the condition of sin. I mean, you still may mess up, but God gives us a different way to deal with all of that. And then unreprovable is to be non-condemnable. That's a, a word. I think I'm pronouncing it right. Not not to be condemnable. Condemnable. Does that sound right? Okay. Or subject to condemnation. Those words are still floating around. I can see them out here now. Yeah. Well, you can see them. That's scary. You see inside my head. All right. So anyway, one thing that's different when comparing the Old Testament sacrifices to what happened to Christ, there's a, there is a little bit of a difference, and that is... And I never really thought about that until I got to thinking about it for this class. Uh, one thing that's different when comparing the Old Testament sacrifices was their death is the death of the animal by bleeding out. They die by bleeding out. Jesus Christ didn't die by bleeding to death. And this is an amazing thing. He died. Uh, he did not die like those animals. He, he died of his own volition. His death was under his control. Remember what he told Pontius? I think it was Pontius. In John chapter 10, verse 17 and 18, Therefore doth my father love me. Well, actually, I think it was, was it Pontius Pilate? I want to say Pilate. When he said, Don't you know that I have the, the power of life and death? And Jesus Christ looks at him and says, You don't understand anything. Doth my father love me because I lay down my life that I may take it again? No man taketh it from me. No man taketh my life. No man taketh it from me. But I lay it down of my own of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Basically, he said, you can't kill me. I mean, they could have done anything they wanted to. But, I mean, they drained all his blood. Uh, they beat him with, with uh, scourge. They, they nailed him to a cross. They didn't feed him. They broke, you know, well, they didn't break his bones, but they wanted to. All of this stuff, they couldn't kill him unless he wanted to die. Unless he was, I mean, he knew what he was there for. He knew he was there to die, but he, he, it was him. And when he, died, when he did die, he secured our life by becoming sin for us. In Second Chronicles, Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, Paul writes, for, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And this, let me just tie this together real quick with another concept that maybe you've never linked to. Even after he died, he still bled. Remember that? In John chapter 19, verse 34, one of the soldiers came up with a spear, pierced his side, and what came out? Blood and water. So he still bled. So, But he was supposed to be dead. They they speared him to find out, are you really dead? Let's make sure. So, But he still bled. So, the point of all of this is the gospel is the catalyst of presenting these truths. The gospel message, the, the, the good news, is that this, this, this is how we, in one way or another, we would present the gospel in, in a way that hopefully would make sense to people. Christ shed his blood for you, but he also gave his life for you. Yes. He shed his blood so you could be cleansed. He gave his life for you so you could be saved. So we know the gospel is the good news about what Christ's offering included. It is the good news that all who desire can be reconciled back to God. What did I say reconcile was? To restore uh, yourself back to, to into a condition that had been uh, uh, damaged. 
Paul calls it, here in verse 22, he calls the blood of his cross, which was carried out in verse 22, speaking of his death as a man, the incarnate God. And then we get to verses 23 and 24. And so we had, first we had the victory of the gospel. Now we had the victory in the church, victory of the church. The key thought in these verses, verses 23 to 24, is to continue. Just continue on. Just don't, don't, don't hold up where you're at. Continue on. And Paul moves from our standing of being reconciled to our state of being fixed part of the body of Christ. We're being, we're a fixed part of the body. So verse 23, verse 23, he goes on, if you continue in the faith, grounded in salvation, he's not saying that if you don't continue in the faith, you'll lose your salvation. It's not a passage that threatens us to lose our salvation. That's not what he's talking about. If you continue in the faith. So, um, this is not about you losing your salvation. It's about you losing ground and being unsettled. Too many folks take the reconciliation offer by, of Christ, but they reject it. They give, they give, they reject the gift of the body. They take, they take it, but they reject at the same time. Paul has presented us with the deity of Christ as well as the death of Christ. And now he wants to speak to us of the demands of Christ. What is Christ demanding of you? <coughs> Faith and service. The word if points us to the question, are you really saved? But that's not, but then there's a demand on you of Christ is that if we, that we live our life in a definite loyalty to Christ. See, here's the thing. No unsaved person has ever had this demand on their life. No unsaved person has ever been demanded to do anything for Christ. Christ died for you and now he wants you to serve him. If you've accepted him. But he lays no demands on anybody other than other than just be obedient to him if you're saved. How do you illustrate your loyalty to Christ? How do you illustrate your loyalty to Christ? Do what Paul did at the end of verse 24. What did Paul say at the end of verse 24? He gets the verse, he says... Verse 24, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh. Huh? Is that the right verse? That is the right verse, but I'm not seeing what I've, I've lost my track. That's what I'm, yeah, that's where I was going, but sorry about that. So verse 20, at the end of verse 24, he says, I, Paul, am am made a minister. And I've talked to him about this many times uh, in the past, different topics. But we are all ministers of Christ, not just the pastor, not, you know, not the deacons, but every person is a minister of Christ. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation, Paul says in 1 Corinthians. Okay, so anyway, let me back up to where I was in my notes because I got myself lost. Yeah, okay. So the intent here is not that if you are saved, what verse 22 says, and verse 23, if you continue in the faith, it's not if you are saved. It's actually the intent of the, the, the phrase is because you are saved, you will not be unsettled and you will not move away from the truth and the reality of the gospel. So if you... If you are saved, if you continue in the faith, then be st- to be grounded and be, be, be faithful. To be grounded means to lay down a foundation in your life that is Christ, which you do when you are a servant of Christ and He is your Lord. 
He, you know, we talked about extensively about this when we studied out 1 Corinthians chapter 3, about a foundation laid that, that we must build upon. So because you're saved, build upon the foundation who is Christ. He says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, that Christ is the foundation, and we need to build upon that, what he has done. And then verse 24, and then we get to what my next point is, is that unfortunately there will be suffering. So Paul says in verse 24, who now rejoice in my sufferings. That's an amazing thing that Paul could rejoice in his sufferings. So Paul recognized the suffering of Jesus, but he never wavered in the fact that he rejoiced in the suffering that came due to his ministry because he cared for the church and the young believers. So Paul would suffer in order to be able to get to young people that needed to hear the gospel, young people who needed to learn how to lay down a foundation, young people who needed any person, I shouldn't say just young people, but anybody, young believers, uh, that needs to learn how to lay down that foundation in their life. To be clear, Paul is not saying that his affliction is complete or finished that's what Christ had, had done. Because he's not able to complete what, what Christ did because he died on the cross. Paul recognizes, though, that the enemy... So think about this. The, the enemy wanted to kill Christ. I mean, I've, I've heard illustrations where Christ is dead, he's buried, he's in... He's in He's in hell, and, and the devil's sitting on his chest just laughing at him because I've got you, I beat you. And, and, and Christ wakes up and pushes him off and rises up, and the devil's kind of at, at a loss. He doesn't know what to do. He's like, well, how'd it happen there? And so, so anyway, um, so Paul is not saying that, I, that I'm completing what, what Christ should have done. What he's saying is he was, he was attacked by his enemy. Christ was attacked by his enemy, and Christ is in me, and the enemy's still attacking Christ, and I get, the, I get, I take the brunt of it because he's in me. Christ is in me. To be clear, he's not saying that his affliction is complete. To what Christ did. Instead, Paul recognizes that the enemy presses into Paul in order to brutalize Christ, who is in Paul. So when you think about what you're suffering, it's not because of you, it's because the enemy wants to get to Christ. And so you do happen to just be in the way. And when Paul says, I can rejoice in my sufferings because I know that he's trying to attack Christ, and Christ is alive in heaven, but he's in me, and I will, and I will suffer, but I rejoice in my suffering. How many of us can say, I rejoice in my suffering? It's very difficult to make that statement. Any one of us, because we're human. Paul's human too, but he understood that the, the suffering wasn't because because he's Paul. The suffering was because Christ is in Paul. And we know that Christ is in us as well, and he is alive. Well, the enemy knows that too. So the enemy wants to attack anybody that Christ is in because he's actually trying to get to Christ. He's trying to destroy Christ out of your life. So when Christ suffered on the cross, that was for our sins. That was a redemptive suffering. That Christ re suffered redemptively towards us. So that's a blank. I think that's one of the last blanks. Or one more. Now he suffers today. He suffers with his saints as a responsive suffering. And Paul wrote similar about this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. It's, I always kind of, I mean, I like the, the section in Philippians chapter 3. But Paul said in verse 10 that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Because he's fellowshipping with Christ. Christ is in him and he's fellowshipping with Christ and he's suffering because Christ is being attacked. 
And he goes on, he says, being made conformable unto his death. Now Paul didn't write to the Philippians of hopes of his hope that he hopes his suffering will make him feel closer to Christ. That's not what he's saying, which is kind of a lot of times how I think it's presented. And Paul wants to suffer so he can feel closer to Christ. That's really, I don't think, after looking at this today in Colossians, I'm not sure that that's what he's saying. I think what's happening here um, is that he knows he suffered because Christ is still suffering. And then we'll wrap up here. We'll get close, we'll get close to the end of the time. Verse 25 to 29. So we have victory in the gospel, victory in the church, and now victory in doctrine. And I think it's really kind of cool how Paul makes a hint at some of the most important doctrines in the church. 1 Corinthians 4.1 says, Let no man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and the stewards of the mysteries of God. The most important component of the church, the most important thing that the church can have is doctrine. We are responsible for maintaining that important truth. And you know what, what, what happens a lot of times is our doctrine is victorious over all that are against the church and against God. And so a lot of times, if, if they're not attacking us directly because of Christ, they're attacking his doctrine. They're attacking the church because of what we teach. The enemy doesn't just hate your church. They hate what you stand for. And they extend that hatred to all things that are related to the church. I mean, we see it all the time, and you just you just watch the news. Everything that's going on in the news is against the church. They're against true doctrine. There are churches out there that claim doctrine meets what's happening in the world. They modify their doctrine to conform to the world. We can't do that. We should never do that. We should hold on to the doctrine because there is victory in doctrine. The enemy doesn't just hate, hate, hate your church. I was kind of worried this morning, and we all need to be worried that all of the protesting is going to be done in front of churches. And I know that the threat is to be in front of Catholic churches because most of the Supreme Court uh, judges are Catholic by identity anyway. Um, but you know what? If the enemy is attacking a Catholic church, what's wrong with them going right down the street and attacking a Baptist church? I mean, we need to be praying about this kind of stuff. So it's not that they—it's not that they hate the Baptist Church or the Catholic Church. They hate what it stands for, whether it's right or wrong. They hate what it stands for. So we had to hold on to our doctrine. Verse twenty-five: um, I am made a minister again. He says this is the second time I am made the made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. So Paul says that we are privileged to care for and minister these doctrines. We have a privilege to hang on to the doctrine. One of the reasons that we teach what we teach in this church, Discipleship 1, Discipleship 2, Bible Institute, Wednesday night services, all of that stuff is about teaching the truth. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 1 and 2, Seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, not handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So basically, there's a lot of churches out there where the Bible is falsified and the Bible is twisted for the purpose of hiding the truth and through craftiness and deceit to change the appearance of Christ and the Godhead. 
You wonder why some churches don't teach the truth. I mean, it's in the Bible. How can you miss it? But they modify it. They twist it. They, they falsify it for the purpose of changing the appearance of the Godhead. And then he finishes up in verses 25 to 27. Uh, he talks about the power of doctrine. Um, I don't want to take the time to read that because we're almost out of time. Uh, so anyway, dispensations. He talks about dispensations. The dispensation in verse 25, the dispensation of God. Dispensations are distinct periods of time, just as a reminder for it, because we've already we've gone through this in the past, and you get this in D2 as well. But dis, dispensations are distinct periods of world history where God ministers his grace differently to demonstrate to man their own lack of ability to be righteous without God. And in verse 25, Paul is referring to the dispensation of God. But in Ephesians chapter 2, or chapter 3, verse 2, he doesn't call it the dispensation of God. He calls it the dispensation of grace. You know, it's why we refer to this time frame that we're in as the age of grace. This is the dispensation we're in today. This is the sixth of seven dispensations that we're currently in a time frame in history today is the dispensation of grace. He extends that grace through the ministry of the, of the church. Oh, that's you guys. God just, God extends that grace through you to the world. And then in verse 26, he refers to something else. He refers to mysteries. To whom God, verse 26, even the mystery which had been hidden from ages, from generations, but now it made manifest. So there's seven mysteries in the Bible, each total one, uh, in each, seven mysteries in total, each one revealing that truth. They're mysteries because the, the the prophets of the Old Testament didn't they couldn't see these truths they couldn't see these they're called mysteries because they didn't know what they were they're revealed in the New Testament through Paul and now we know what they are as far as our enemy is concerned these mysteries should just remain a mystery but one uh, once a person begins to learn they they turn to God um, not away from God. And then, so these mysteries in action, verse 27. This is so critical that Paul gives one of the most important mysteries. He, so he uses, he gives us an example. So there's seven. He doesn't say there's seven, but we know that there's seven. Um, he gives an example of, of one in verse 27. To whom God would make known the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So he ties that all the way back to the to chapters Chapter 1, verses 15 to 19, the deity connected to um, Christ uh, and the gospel and the truth of the word of God lands right on you um, that, to present every man. In verse 28, we preach warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom that we may be present every man perfect. And that's our, that's our responsibility. But let me just say this as we kind of get close to ending up. Christ is only in you if you're saved. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Um, and as Christ lives in you, then the life that you live is actually His and not yours. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me in the life which I live now in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Amen. And then we'll wrap up verses 28 and 29. We'll just hit them real kind of quick. So what are we supposed to do? 
once we're saved, once we're part of this, and once we understand our role, Paul is telling the church in verses 28 and 9, preach, labor, and strive. Three things he says, right? We're, we're kind of quickly. Like Paul, we who have surrendered to the call of ministry have three tasks that summarize our service to Jesus Christ. So if you want to make that land, land that foundation, you, first you preach. What does that mean? To declare plain, plainly. To declare pl- plainly. Not what I'm doing right now. Now, that doesn't mean you have to preach on Sunday mornings like Pastor Brian. That just means you have to declare the truth. Openly announce God's truth found in the doctrines of the Bible. That's why we teach everybody, so everybody knows what the doctrines are. Secondly is labor. Labor means to toil or to work in the Word. Work in the the Lord, for the Lord. To toil, to work. And then third thing, striving. Persevere at the highest ability and always seek to advance towards the goal. I'll let you identify what your goal should be for your ministry. Do all you can because Christ did all he could in and for you. And that's where Paul Paul opens up this letter with this with these truths that we just looked at over the last four weeks. And uh, uh, I'm looking forward to where Paul takes us in the next chapter and so on. So let's pray, and uh, we're a couple minutes over, and we'll be out of here. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for this, this, this truth, Lord. And help us all to be the ministers that you want us to be. Help us all learn and have a, have a grip on uh, the doctrines of the Bible, Lord. Dispensations, kingdoms, uh, mysteries. All, there's so many of them, Lord. We couldn't even begin to list them all. So I pray, Father, for your help. In, in leading all of this and learning all of this and maintaining it in our hearts and our actions, Lord, in our lives. Help us to be a servant to you the way you desire us to be. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Randy. Amen. Okay, so we had uh, Judy Steele on. We had Kathy Cundiff. Hey, Kathy. My mom. Hi, Mom. Happy, happy Mother's Day. Um, some other people, I don't see all their names now. I think that's everybody I see. Anyway, thanks for hanging out with us. Love you guys. We'll talk to you later. Bye.